0: Hi, I'm Reg Parbeck and today I'm here with Eddie Chiliendo, who is the Chief Strategy Officer at Model 9. Welcome, Eddie. Hey Reg, glad to be here. So uh, I'd like to start by just kind of getting a sense, you've got a really interesting background, uh, you know, uh, that that involves a, a lot more of the planet than just North America. And and maybe you could sort of tell us about your journey of getting to where you are today, to Model 9, to the mainframe and to North America.
1: Yeah, yeah. so uh, I get... Uh was born and raised uh, in Switzerland. Uh, so again, I've seen enough cold weather and snow for a lifetime.
0: Mm. Uh, joined
1: IBM in the late 90s, uh, uh, first in IBM's education uh, department, and then pretty quickly went over to, uh, to uh, IBM's mainframe division. You remember back in the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, IBM had this first wave of, okay, so hey, we have to modernize the mainframe. That's when IBM brought uh, out technologies like uh, Linux, right, running on the mainframe. Mm-hmm. I think in '99, uh, Java running on the mainframe with the ZAP engines at the time. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's how I—that's or that's when I uh, kind of joined the mainframe division. Was one of those young kids uh, learning this strange, dark art of, of ZOS.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So just basically, when when OS/390 became ZOS, is when you sort of became a mainframer.
1: Yeah, pretty much, exactly right. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, you- I still remember we were, we're doing uh, sales brochures and and system assurance for S three hundred and ninety boxes. So uh, yeah,
0: cool. So now uh, that that was that when you came over to North America as well, you say?
1: No, that was a that was a bit later. So I, I did that for a while. Again, I was a system engineer. Uh, learned from um, uh, a lot of the old timers, which was awesome, right? Uh, really, that it's one of the experiences I uh, I think still cherish to this day, you know, just mm. learning from people that have been there from the very beginning, right that that started with the systems 360. Uh, you know, they put me through the whole brainwash uh, of, you know, learning okay. that uh, uh, the principles of operation and all that good stuff mm. and how to analyze a dump and all all, all those things. Mm. I think that you probably don't do anymore these days. Uh, so I did a lot of did a lot of that stuff, uh, then became an architect, uh, uh, had different architect roles, I then left IBM for a little bit uh, to join a larger insurance company, uh, where I became their head of mainframe uh, that was in 2011. So, you know, I always wanted to to see how, how it is to to run one of those large environments, be mm-hmm. responsible for operation. But also implement a lot of the, you know, a lot of the uh, the advice that I've been giving out now, you know, that was 2011. So for almost 15 years, right, I was creating PowerPoint charts and all that good stuff. So I wanted to see, you know, how difficult it is to implement some of those best practices in real life. Like, okay, now, you know, how do you get young kids from college or straight from school to learn MVS or learn US? Um, so did that for a couple years and then I was rehired by IBM uh, believe it or not in Singapore to run uh, the mainframe business for the Asia-Pacific region did that for a while and then was offered a worldwide job became worldwide product manager for the IBM Z hardware uh, and then left IBM after a couple of years uh, to join Model 9 uh, at the beginning of last year
0: wow okay so basically you've had an opportunity to take all of that experience and really apply it as you've learned your way into model nine which would be a really different way of learning something from learning the mainframe and model nine at the same time uh now i understand model nine is is sort of being around for a little while but you know people might not know you know what it is they do so maybe Mm -hmm. if you can give us sort of a a picture of your journey of learning model nine since you joined them
1: yeah and it's funny you you say right we've been around for a little while i mean Again, we we were founded in 2016, uh, and okay. again that, that that's yeah that's a couple of years. But in 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 the mainframe world, right? You do understand. I mean, we haven't been around for yeah. 40 years and something like that, like the other big names really? in, in the mainframe software industry. So being around since 2016, uh, uh, with offices now pretty much all over the world, we have obviously a big development presence in uh in Israel and Tel Aviv where we have most of our oh. developers we have an office in New York we have an office here in Raleigh North Carolina where I'm located where we also have our, our mainframe uh, test lab uh yeah so it's funny when uh Gil Peleg our uh our CEO approached me uh whether I w- would like to join his team and join my line you know first of all you know what the heck uh, object storage, I've never heard of object storage before. Uh, so what, what is that doing? And then, you know, as I looked into it a little bit more, uh, I thought, well, you know, how can uh, storage attached by TCP IP be faster and all that good stuff that we developed yeah. decades, you know, as FICON and SCON and all that mm-hmm. good stuff. Yeah. So. At first, I was really uh, I, I really can't believe it. Sorry, I, I didn't see, see any value in that story. And then, as more uh, as I you know was digging deeper into the company, digging deeper, dig, digging deeper into the technology, you know, it kind of dawned on me what the potential for for that technology is for the mainframe.
0: Oh, so uh, basically, then I gather that Model Nine was uh, founded, as you say, in twenty sixteen, with this idea of object storage and TCP IP rather than the more traditional ways of, of connectivity and data storage and access on the mainframe. Maybe if you can give us a sense of of sort of the founding principles of Model 9 and and what they've done since then.
1: Yeah. Well, I think, and again, you know, people like Gil or Ofer Baruch or, or CTO would probably be better to comment on that. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I think the initial, you know, how, how Model 9 came about was actually to look for a more cost-efficient storage alternative for some of the testing uh, that uh, that they were doing at the time, right? And that's how they discovered object storage and 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 uh, uh, being able to attach uh, object storage to ZUS because there wasn't a native interface. Mm. Still isn't an there still isn't an native interface for for ZUS other than online. There's now some tiering technology out there, but we're still kind of the only offering that, that writes all data directly out to object storage. So that was kind of you know why the technology came about and. Uh, it evolved now into the product that, or the products that we have today where you can leverage object storage for backup restore, where you can leverage it for cyber resiliency, or you can leverage it to expose mainframe data to cloud native applications or to uh, data lakes you know, for AI, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and that kind of stuff.
0: Well, I, one of my uh, hats that I wear is as a computing security, uh, I'm tempted to say nerd, but certainly and somebody who's focused on it very much, and so when I think of storage that is accessible by the mainframe but accessible off the mainframe I get pretty nervous just because of, of you know the need for control and security but before I can even get there you know I have to also admit being a, a you know a deep mainframe nerd the term object storage is not you know part of my normal vocabulary so maybe if you can kind of give us a mainframeer's primer on what the heck is model uh, is uh, sorry object storage
1: yeah i mean it's simple so yeah you have the same reaction that I had you know when, when I heard for, uh, about mono and object search. So I uh, <clears throat> it really wasn't a concept to me. So I think a couple of important things uh, about the object storage. First of all, you know it, it was designed as a repository for unstructured data, right So oh. stuff in the cloud like uh, big picture images, audio, video, uh, that kind of stuff right? As, as a very efficient means of storing unstructured data. Now, obviously, there's other use cases uh, in unstructured data that then extended to AI, right? Analytics use cases, and I think that's where um, object storage is now very popular, and it then expanded into uh, into into the cloud. Obviously, now, right? With I mean, you know, one of the big uh, uh, APIs for object storage is S3, uh, the simple uh, simple storage architecture that uh, was kind of spearheaded by. Uh, by Amazon AWS I guess right mm. so now it's now it's uh, very prevalent in, in in the cloud so uh, you know if you, if you if you're building a cloud native application today and I think that's also where object storage outside of just talking about my online but it's where object storage becomes relevant for main framers mm. is it's the de facto standard for cloud native applications right so if you build a cloud native application out there and whatever your preferred cloud stack is again I've been using AWS just for for reference purposes Uh, you build an EC2 instance uh, you know your default storage will be uh, will be object storage right you're not using block storage uh, block level storage or anything like that anymore or NFS or anything like that so you know and that's also where again the whole concept of object storage other than having a huge value proposition from a from a price performance point of view uh, but as you think about cloud native, right, and the mainframe um, wanting to become more part of this hybrid cloud architecture, you know, with as as container extensions and all that all, all that great mm-hmm. technology that um, has been developed over the past couple of years, right, it's I think it's very key that mainframers understand the concept of object storage, the importance of object storage, because again, nobody's gonna nobody's gonna attach an ECKD. Uh, device to do uh, a cloud net, a native uh, container run.
0: Hmm. Now there's there's a few things you said that I'm gonna uh, dig deeper into you once you mentioned uh, containers, but before I get to containers, mm-hmm. you talked about unstructured. Now, of course, mainframe is famous for its structured data. You know, I mean, that's one of the reasons the ESMs work so well is you can identify mm-hmm. data and secure it at the field level because it is so highly structured. And so I'm wondering whether uh, this object storage is you know is something you would use for highly structured data as well, or if you'd mostly use it for rich multimedia and that sort of thing?
1: Uh, again, I think in the context of cloud native, it now also becomes a, or has become a storage media uh, has become a storage media for uh, for uh, structured data, right? Uh, but if you think again, kind of about the use cases that I just outlined quickly for my online. You know a, a backup, say something like a full volume dump right I mean that's that's essentially a, a large wop of unstructured data like a, like a big video or, or a big image or a big audio file right uh, So yes, while the origine, uh, originating data is highly structured, you know kind of what we then put into the cloud uh, doesn't have to be structured per se.
0: Okay, so basically backing up, for example, at a volume level so that you've got an off-site backup that's available for an emergency uh, or for access from, from an alternative platform. Uh, now, let's let's talk about uh, containers because this is, this is sort of one of these things that just landed on the mainframe. You know, like they'd be doing it elsewhere and suddenly, bam, you know, not only are we doing containers, you know, uh, through the hypervisors, we're doing containers directly through ZOS. Or ZOS, Uh, and and so I'm thinking, you know, maybe if you can try to draw a picture to help people get up to speed both on the container state of the art in the mainframe and how you would use what you're doing to to really uh, help that be more effective. And then I'm going to start digging into the 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 weeds of how you talk to the mainframe. But go ahead.
1: Yeah. So so in all honesty, I think there's uh, uh, much better people to talk about. You know, the 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 state of containers on the mainframe. Right. I mean, the only again, the only thing that I You know, would like to bring home is, you know, as you think about uh, containerized applications and and cloud native applications, right? uh, Just how important it becomes to, you know, also think about the underlying storage storage architecture, right? The whole idea of a containerized application is that it is is highly portable, uh, which I think is a is a wonderful idea, right? It takes the concept of Java kind of like to the next step, and I think there's going to be a lot of benefits for the mainframe because, you know. We've been talking about fit for purpose, I think, for, for decades now, right? That yeah. you run uh, your apps apps on the right platform, uh, you know, with the right quality of service or whatever, right? And and I see containers as a, a huge potential for a mainframe where now you develop a containerized application and you realize, hey, this containerized application needs super fast IO, it needs high security, or it has a really close affinity to your mainframe, whatever you're running, right? Your, your your core banking, your airline reservation system. So let's just port that container that we developed somewhere in the cloud and move it to the mainframe, right? But while doing so, again, think about the underlying storage architecture because your containerized application will very likely want to talk to an object storage uh, like architecture instead of a block architecture.
0: So, uh, so that's uh, one dimension of it. Now, I'm, I'm thinking about. I mean, you're saying you guys were founded with the idea of doing things more cost effectively and efficiently. And you know, I mean, you know, as as a, a mainframe nerd, I love SCON, Ficon, all these things that are such differentiators. And here, you're not. You know, you're going straight to TCP/IP. Tell us about. You know, why is that a good idea?
1: Yeah, it, it, it's you know, it's, that was that was the other reaction that I, as I said, that I had when I first learned about Malan is, you know, why the heck? I mean, how can you be faster than, you know, a, a virtual tape server that sits a couple of feet away from the mainframe uh, in the same data center? Again, is attached by those extremely efficient fiber optic uh, g- connections, right? But I think the important thing, well, there's, I think there's two important things to, to understand. So first of all, you know, you have to talk about bandwidth Bandwidth, slash throughput, and and uh, uh, latency, right? So from a latency perspective, TCP/IP even in your data center can't even come close to Ficon, right? Ficon is so efficient, and you know so much development work has been put into Ficon to uh, you know to to reduce a lot of the overhead that TCP/IP comes with, right? So I mean, if, if you're looking at the at the low latency for for very, you know, kind of chatty workloads, um, uh, very IO-intensive workloads. Again, think about a DB2, right, uh, doing a, th- a million IOPS on your system. That's nothing that you want to connect uh, via, via TCP IP to TCP IP storage. Right? But mm. if you think back again about the use case that I was mentioning, right, cyber resiliency, you want to create a large third data copy of your data. Or wow. again, backup restore, right? You do a full volume dump or even an incremental backup of petabytes of data. Or again, you you, you export, yeah, you, know, you expose your mainframe data. And again, you want to take the last 10 years of customer interaction data and move it to a data lake for analytics. Like we're always talking about really large data volumes. And in that case, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's kind of like you 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 push a, a, a large object through the pipe. So Latency, yes, of course, latency going to the cloud or even to a, a object storage in your data center is going to be way more than Ficon, but it's only going to be bigger for that first transaction, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: After a transaction, you know, you just start to push uh, data out there. And from a throughput perspective, you know, it's interesting. I mean, TCP IP has gone long ways, right? I mean, if well, do we now have 25 OSAs. I don't even know anymore. I think 100 gigaOSAs mm-hmm. for sure uh, on, on the horizon. Uh, so, and, and I would wager a bet that we see hundred gigabit OSA way before we see hundred gigabit FICON. Oh, uh, interesting. and a lot of the, uh, and a lot of the data center infrastructure, uh, you know, already supports hundred gig Ethernet today, right? So from a, from a pipe size perspective, mm-hmm. you know, Ethernet has become, uh, uh pretty capable And the same is true uh, once you leave the data center, right? A lot of those hyperscalers, they provide you uh, direct pipes from your data center to the Google Cloud, to Microsoft Azure, to IBM's cloud, obviously, to uh, to AWS. And those direct connection pipes can be very, very large, right? I mean, again, when we interact with customers, it's um, uh, not uncommon to see customers that have multiple 10 gig links into into public clouds, right? So from the throughput perspective, uh, TCP/IP has gone long ways, right? And now, mm. as we look at the at the receiving end of this chain, right? So we have the mainframe, we have TCP/IP, and then we have the object storage platform, right? Uh, I mean, cloud object storage has, I mean, it, it sounds cool on marketing brochures, right? Has near limitless scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, it, you, you can make of it what you want, but the scale of, a, of an AWS data center or of a Google data center really is is something to, uh, to respect. And the same is true for on-premise uh, object storage platforms, right? There has been so much innovation over the past couple of years in that space that there's plenty of all flash offerings, you know, that have mm-hmm. a, a extremely parallel architecture that can ingest tens if not hundreds of gigabytes per second right so from a receiving end perspective object storage is extremely capable
0: right so that's you know interesting to talk about what we sometimes call the feeds and speeds but uh, of course the use cases are what really makes it relevant because you know obviously you know there's security mm-hmm. issues there's availability issues there's your know, uh the customer use uh what are some of the ways you would use this that are really consistent with that, that whole mainframe way of doing things so scrupulously so carefully so effectively
1: yeah yeah so a uh, great question so let's talk about a couple of the use cases right? i think the probably the simplest one is uh, cyber resiliency and don't get me wrong cyber resiliency is a very is a very difficult topic oh, yeah. but we we'll yeah. only look at it, the niche of cyber resiliency with our product called model 9 shield and what the purpose of model 9 shield is is um, simply to create a third data copy of your data uh, on object storage that can be on premise or in the cloud, and then use a uh, an object storage capability called object lock where you make the data immutable. Right. So now you have an immutable copy of your data that is off the mainframe, potentially even off premise. And I'll come to an interesting customer example in just a second. Uh, right and you achieve that again i think price performance of object storage is great but it's also uh you know just the simplicity right so we have one customer in northern slash eastern europe uh it's in a country that shares a border with russia That's all i'm saying i can think of a country like that <laughs> <laughs> they they uh they're in a the banking sector and you know when um, uh, that whole situation in ukraine uh, started going south uh they were obviously as a a neighboring country they were very concerned about Mm -hmm. the situation and they wanted to create a third data copy as a best practice now you know they wanted to create a third data copy not in their data center Mm -hmm. not even in another data center in country but they wanted to create a third data copy outside of their country in a NATO member country Mm -hmm. and and you know they were able to achieve that they were able to kind of achieve that architecture using online using object storage much simpler much faster you know because again we don't need to need to ship any hardware we we don't need to install anything in your data center we you know we just connect to an object storage bucket and we move your data there obviously we encrypt it and 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 we compress it right Uh, uh, but first of all it's a whole lot simpler than doing it was on-prem stuff, and and a use case like what I just mentioned, you know, that simply wouldn't be possible mm-hmm. with on premise kind of infrastructure with traditional mm-hmm. FICO unless you know you were you're one of the mega banks that can really afford. Hey, yes, I purchase another data center somewhere out of country. I you know I put mainframes yeah. there, I put mainframe storage there, I put mainframe staff there. But I mean, we're talking about tens of millions of dollars of investment and in, in probably a multi-year right. project, right?
0: Well, this is something that had to happen really fast. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. because of the geopolitics involved. Exactly. Really interesting. Okay, uh, so that's one use case, and and uh, you know I, I can certainly see the value of having that you know uh, that rescue ship of of data, you know, just in case everything really goes south fast. Um, How about another use case? Let's let's talk about other perspectives that you can use this for.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, once you have, and again, I mean, the the example that I just mentioned is probably kind of on the extreme scale, right? Mm. Uh, Obviously, we have other customers that do it uh, more traditionally. They use an an on-premise infrastructure to create their third data copy uh, too. But uh, anyway, I thought it's kind of, you know, it showcases kind of the capability and the value that the mainframe can gain. From, from the technology. So, I mean, building up, uh, building on top of um, Model Line Shield, we do have another product called Model Line Manager that then takes this use case of copying data and extends it to full backup restore. Right, Monline shield just takes kind of a you know as kind of a one shot. You know, you tell me you want to take a snapshot of your copy tonight or once a week or or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you need from a recovery point objective. Uh, online manager now goes to the next step and you know uh, implements all the backup uh, policies that the, the mainframe um, you know is, is known for, right? right like a um, hierarchical storage. Uh, making sure, you know, you you move your data into archives and you're capable of recalling data from archives and all that good stuff. So again, kind of extending the the cyber resilience use case now into a full backup restore use case where you can use object storage instead of your probably more complex and pricey on-premise tape or virtual tape infrastructure.
0: Now, is this something you then were connecting with like database tools to do roll forwards and that sort of thing or how's that all fit together? Yeah yeah okay cool uh now so you've talked about two of your products and uh, maybe if you can just get a sense of, of uh, some of the other products and use cases that you have as well
1: yeah yeah so so the last uh, product use case that we have is what we call modeling gravity you know kind of a a, a word a, a play on on data gravity and modeling gravity does two things very very efficiently and it, it, you know you we were talking about the speeds and feeds right uh, and obviously the speeds and feats are very important for model line shield and model line manager right because you want to make sure that you move your data as quickly and as efficiently uh, to your backup location and then also back in, ca- in case you have to do a restore of a database or in case you have to restore mm. to the restore of a full system right we're leveraging the same technology to move data from the mainframe from to the cloud right so think of it like any data mover you have today, FTP, uh mm. right, whatever uh ETL tool you come to think of right to, to move data from the mainframe uh, somewhere else, right? So what we do is we move really large amounts of data very efficiently using our technology to to uh to object storage. Right. And if you think again about the discussion that we had at the beginning, okay, so so what is object storage used for? Well, you know, it's used for analytics and it's used for anything out there that's cloud native, right? So if you have, you know, if, if you're a large shop and you're working on cloud native things or, uh, or again, you have a, a, a data scientist department, which you very likely have, you know, those data scientists and, and the cloud developers, they're very likely uh, working with object storage. Right, so the advantage of our solution is, you know, we we're not, you know, landing your stuff somewhere else. You know, land your mm. stuff on a server, and then the Linux server has to bring it to object storage. We never, we now have a direct interface between ZOS to move that data directly to object storage. So that that's kind of the first capability of Gravity, and then the second capability of Gravity is now, as you as you move the data to uh, to the cloud-native object storage. It's still in mainframe formats right so mm-hmm. data scientists they probably can't do a whole lot with it and your your cloud applications probably also you know they're 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 wondering about tracks and cylinders and, and uh big endian, big zalebs like <laughs> what's going on here right so what the second part of what gravity does is we have uh, a part of gravity that runs in a container so they can run natively in the cloud or in a, in a container in a data center right on a vmware or whatever that then transforms the mainframe data into oh. open systems formats right ask you know ascii uh, utf uh, and then you know put it into json or or, or csv file or something like that right hmm. so that way your your cloud applications or your ai teams with their ai algorithms and stuff you know they they no longer have to go back to the mainframe team and ask hey well What's the COBOL copybook structure again, and what's going on there? Okay. Right now, they can work with that data just like they work with any other
0: data. Okay, cool. Now, one of the things of being implicit with the number of the cases that you've given is dealing with people who have a somewhat more, uh, uh, more typical, I guess, uh, education about uh, IT you no, know, obviously, you know the mainframe people are always going to be out there, uh, but it's still a bit of a specialized area. And as we look to the future of the mainframe, uh, there's a number of different strategies. One of which is just teach people mainframe, but another is speak to people where they're already at. And and I sense that that's a a big part of how you guys can help the mainframe world move into the future is by being you know compatible with how people are already doing stuff. Maybe you can talk about about you know that part of how you help people future-proof their mainframes.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think it, it's a great point, and you know I'm. I mean, I I love the mainframe. I've uh, always been a mainframer, so I want to you know make sure that this platform stays relevant for the next couple of decades, at least until I retire, right? Mm-hmm. So, so uh, yeah, I, I think a couple of things here, right? Uh, first of all, again, from from a simplification point of view, right? I'm now having more and more discussions with uh, decision makers at large customer shops that tell me, hey, look, we want to standardize our storage infrastructure to one or two uh, storage technologies. And object storage is always one of them. Sometimes they also talk about NFS, but object storage is always the first thing that comes up, right? Mm. So as you think about that, right, I think one of the advantages of using Malign is, well, now your mainframe can participate in that, in that enterprise-wide strategy, mm. right? Right. You're no longer you're no longer the odd kid that again is using you know ECKD and you know track cylinders and, and FICON infrastructure. Now you're just plugging into a, a corporate-wide object storage strategy, whether that is on-prem, hybrid, or in the cloud. I think that is, you know, from a strategy point of view, I think that that is really that is really helpful. And then the other thing, yeah, obviously, you know, once you can make the mainframe data more easily digestible for AI, for machine learning, for cloud-native applications. I think that that also makes things a whole lot easier, right? And I think it's all about it, it, it's all about you know not, as I said before, not being the odd kid uh, in, in the room, right? Where you just say, hey, yeah, well, we 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 play nicely. We um, you know here's your data. So uh, I think that's really where the mainframe can benefit a lot. And then you know, there's also all the innovation that is going on that mm-hmm. otherwise would be kind of um, uh, would be kind of restricted for for the mainframe, right? I mean, again, just from a hardware perspective, as I said before, you know, there there's so much crazy stuff going on in the object storage world that uh, I feel the mainframe uh, could really benefit from. Uh, but then also there's also all the other innovation, right? I mean, I, I think most of the AI uh, and data tools that are out there today, they're all cloud native, right? So how do you get the data to to those tools? Uh, and I think, you know, our, our Gravity product, I believe is a, is a cool answer to uh, uh, to get it there in a very efficient manner.
0: Now, of course, in addition to getting a new generation on the mainframe and all these other things, so the, the, the fact, as you pointed out, the mainframe is gonna be around, you know, I mean, probably not just another 10, 20 years, probably our great, great grandkids will be working on something that is recognizably the mainframe, you know? And, and so as we take a look at that future and really try to, you know, not only predict it, but I like to say product it, you know, choose how to contribute to that future. You know, maybe if you can share some thoughts about the future of the mainframe and how you folks are, are deliberately participating in creating that future.
1: Yeah. So again, I think one, one thing that we're doing uh, clear has to do, again, with storage abstraction. Right. I think storage abstraction is is important. The, the more we can leverage, you know, open technologies, I think the better for the mainframe because you no longer need specialized skills, you no longer need specialized hardware, specialized infrastructure. So I think that will help. Again, you know, once you have, uh, you once you're using object storage and object storage platform, uh, you know, you know, everybody that uh, knows how to operate an object storage system can now help you to operate your mainframe uh, object storage system, right? So again, you no longer need specialized skills. I think that is, that is a big advantage. But again, the other thing has to do with, you know, I, I like you, I believe that the mainframe will be around for decades, but for certain workloads. Right? I think there's workloads where the cloud just makes more sense, right? I mean, if you have mm. a development test environment that you want to rapidly spin up and, and tear down, I think the cloud probably makes more sense if you know you, you need tomorrow i don't know a thousand cores to uh to do analytics on, on your data I mean even though we have on off capacity on demand on the mainframe you probably would prefer to do it on the cloud, you know, for, for multiple reasons, right? So there's there's very valid reasons to uh, to use the cloud. Uh, uh, and I think that's also why IBM is now p- uh, pushing the whole notion of a hybrid cloud more and more, right? Mm-hmm. But in order to be relevant for the mainframe and stay relevant for the mainframe, you know, I think the mainframe has to continue to do the stuff that it does really well, like security, like transaction processing, but then interface with the other systems that are there today that will be there in the future, right? Mm-hmm. And, and interface as seamlessly as possible, right? So that, you know, I, I, I remember, and you probably too, right, in my over two decades in the mainframe world, you know, how often did somebody not want to work with me because we were being mm-hmm. too, too complicated, right? Because we said, hey, look, yeah, you can connect to the mainframe, but hey, come, come back with you know, your your RECF profile and this and that and that. And then, you know, people just yeah. said, you know what? I'm not going to access your DB2 data. I I'm got to go somewhere else or whatever, right? Mm. And I think the easier we make it for the rest of the world to, to work with the mainframe, I think the healthier the mainframe will be now and in the future.
0: Cool. Well, thank you very much uh, for this, Eddie. Any final thoughts you wanted to leave us with? No, I mean, it was,
1: it, was, it was a lot of fun uh, uh, talking to you, Reg. Uh, again, if people are interested in Model 9, then please visit, a, visit our website at uh, model9.io. Uh, but yeah, no, it was uh, a lot of fun
0: talking to you. Well, this has been a real pleasure, Eddie. Thank you. Um, I'll be back with another podcast next month. But in the meantime, check out the other content on Tech Channel. You can also subscribe to their weekly newsletters, webinars, ebooks, solutions directory, and more on the subscription page. I'm Reg Harnett.